Happy Easter. That's his happy resurrection day. That's what we celebrate today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty. And what's great, 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 great news is that because the tomb is empty, because Jesus Christ overcame death, and because Jesus Christ lives inside of us, and because the Bible says greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world, because he walked out of that grave, we can overcome anything the world throws at us. Amen? We can be overcomers because of Jesus being alive. That is great, great, great news. Well, every Easter, um, I start off the message with this question. It's my favorite question of the entire year to ask. How many adults got an Easter basket today? How many? This is pathetic. Watch this. How many adults wish they got an Easter basket today? Do better! Next year, I got one. I got one. Thank you very much. Matter of fact, I got four. And because central people have jokes, last night, I got one that was full of Kool-Aid. That was it. Because last week I told you that as a kid, the Kool-Aid man scared me, and central people think they're funny. Somebody's going to die. And so, um, <laughs> today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so, if you got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going to be at today. I'm going to preach a message about Easter, and a lot of people don't really equate this passage with Easter, but I do, because it's all about the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is the reason that we're here. Listen, the resurrection is real. It happened. It, it makes more sense to believe in it than to not believe in it. And we shouldn't just talk about it on Easter. We should talk about it every single day. Amen? Listen, if you go back and you study secular history, secular history will tell you that a man named Jesus really did live on this earth and he died. You will see he was crucified, murdered by the Roman government and the religious leaders of the day. The religious leaders murdered him around A.D. 30. In fact, there's more evidence in secular history to prove that Jesus Christ literally walked this earth than there is to prove that George Washington was the first president of the United States. Seriously. And so if you're here and you want to deny that Jesus Christ was alive, that's like intellectual dishonesty. You're not even fighting fair. Jesus Christ was alive on this planet. And he's risen. He's alive today. And we celebrate that. But over the years, even today, there have been arguments about the resurrection. Like people say the resurrection is a made-up story by Christians several hundred years after Jesus. Like they kind of made up this story that, that Jesus died and, and that he rose again. But he didn't really rise again. Like they, they just make up the story. What's amazing about this is, number one, that's, that's an absolute lie. It's not true. Because the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians in about 57 to 59 A.D., somewhere in there. So 27 to 29 years after the death of Jesus. Here's what's cool or fascinating about that. Legends don't have time to develop in 27 to 29 years. Because if legends start to develop, people would have been around to refute those legends, right? Like this would be equivalent to me saying, in 1995... 
The Iowa Hawkeyes went 17-0 and in football, went to the Orange Bowl, beat Alabama 107 to nothing to become national champs. That's a myth. That's a legend. That's a lie. Didn't happen, right? I mean, you can go back and, and you can research that. Many of, how many of you were alive in the 90s? How many of you? A lot of us, right? So we could all say, no, that didn't happen. That's not true. When lies are told, people can refute them. And so the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He says, now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. The good news that Jesus Christ, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, walked the earth, lived a sinless life, a perfect life, went to the cross, died for our sins, but then rose again on the third day. That's the gospel message. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what also had been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sin, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. You know who said that? You know who said it besides the Old Testament that was going to happen? Jesus. And Jesus is the word, right? And so Jesus said it. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, I love this. After that, he was seen by more than 500. How many? 500 of his followers at one time. Let me stop right here. If you appear to just one person, if just one person saw the resurrection, maybe we have a problem. If Jesus would have chosen to appear to just one person, that could have been problematic. But, but the Bible says he appeared to 12. The, this refers to the 12 disciples. Um, after Judas had died, a lot of people said, well, no, there were 11, and so this doesn't really make sense. After Judas hung himself, after Judas died, they cast lots. In other words, they, they essentially rolled dice to pick a new um, disciple. His name was Matthias, and he comes in, and you can argue whether he was really one of the 12, he was supposed to be or not, whatever. doesn't matter. He was there in this 12. That's how you get to 12. Now, I get it. Some people will argue. Well, those 12 guys... They loved him. Even Matthias, like, he was bought in. He wanted to be part of the group. They're probably willing to lie for him or whatever. But Paul goes on to say he appeared to how many people? 500 at the same time. Now, one of the explanations that people use to try to cover the fact that 500 people saw him at the same time is that they were all hallucinating. (laughs) Problem. There are people in this room you have hallucinated. Don't raise your hand. We, we don't want to know why. I get it. It's central. But we have hallucinated. Here's what's unique about a hallucination. If you study psychology, hallucinations are unique to an individual. Yes or no? A couple of you are like, yeah, I did it. I, I know. They don't have records of people having mass hallucinations. Jesus appeared to how many people? 500 at the same time. There's no record anywhere of 500 people having the same hallucination ever. 500 people at the same time. Paul goes on to say this. Many who are still alive. Some have died. Most of them are still alive. You don't believe me? Go check it out. Go ask them. You don't believe he rose from the dead? You don't believe that people... Go ask those people. We saw him. Then he was seen by James, which we'll talk about that in a little while. It's one of his brothers. 
and later by all the apostles. Last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Paul murdered Christians. I'll talk about that at the end. But Paul murdered Christians goes on to say this in verse 12, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Listen to me. I'm here to tell you your faith is not useless because Jesus Christ is alive. If he's not alive, we are the biggest idiots on the planet. If he's not alive, you know what we should do? Shut these doors and go out and break some commandments. Because if Jesus Christ is not alive, then we, as the Apostle Paul later says in 1 Corinthians, we should be pitied more than all men. The cornerstone of the resurrection is the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And I want to share with you a few reasons this morning why I believe that Jesus Christ is alive. Number one, because Jesus said it would happen. The main reason I believe in the resurrection and the reason I believe Jesus is alive is because Jesus said it would happen. When Jesus says something happened, I'm, I'm just always going to go with Jesus. A lot of people, they're like, well, I don't know. Maybe he meant it. No, 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 no. It's black and white. Jesus said it. I'm in, baby. Like, listen, years ago, I'll set this point up like this. Years ago, I was at a conference, and um, I went with a group of people, and we met a group of people while we were there. This group of people that we met there, they were from the, the church the conference was at. And we left at one of the breaks. We went to lunch, and we split up. And I was with a guy I didn't really know. And we walked outside, and he had a newer Corvette. He looked at me, and he said, have you ever driven a vet? I said, no. He said, can you drive a stick? I said, is the Pope Catholic? And he threw me his keys, and he said, I want you to drive my car. I was like, whoo, Jesus is alive. Like right there, I knew this was from Jesus. He's a praise God for you. We started down the road, and it was, it was frustrating because we're in traffic, and you couldn't really do anything. It's like, well, this is kind of boring, whatever. And we were, um, we were in a suburb of Dallas, and we had to go to the other side um, of the city or whatever. So we got on the interstate. When we got on the interstate, absolute true story, we got on the interstate, he looks over at me, and he said, get on it. I was like, do what? You know who I am? Like, do you know where I'm from? Like, I make Ricky Bobby look slow. Like, he, he looks at me, he says, I want you to see what you've got. Push it. What was I supposed to do? Like, what would you do in that situation? Oh, I'm going to obey the speed limit. I'm just going to take care of his car. No. I jumped all over it. I am like in sixth gear, and I'm downshifting to third gear, and I'm in and out of traffic, and I'm whipping around people. I'm like, Rubbin's racing, baby. Sorry about your car. I am flying. When we get to where we were supposed to go, this dude couldn't walk. I scared him in his own car. I looked over. I'm like, whoa, that was so much fun. He looked at me, and he said, nobody's ever gotten on it before. <laughs> Here's the deal. He didn't think I would do it. He didn't think I would get on it. But I made a believer out of him, which is exactly what Jesus did when it came to the resurrection. Jesus told people he was going to raise from the dead. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm the son of God? Don't you know the grave can't keep me down? He told people, and they didn't believe him. The Bible says this in Matthew 17, verse 22. After they had gathered in Galilee, Jesus told, this is the disciples, 
Jesus told them, the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with, what's that last word say? What? Grief. You know why they were filled with grief? Because they didn't believe him. Had they believed him, it would say they were filled with what? Joy. But he said, hey guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And they're going to kill me. Which, which they believe that. You know why? Because they'd been trying to kill Jesus for three years of his ministry. They had seen people hurl insults at Jesus, throw rocks at Jesus. They, they knew murder was not a far stretch. They knew that Jesus was a marked man. The thing they couldn't get past was Jesus said, on the third day, I'm coming back to life. If you believe that, there would be joy. But the Bible says there was grief. And the reason there was grief is because they did not believe it. He says it again a couple chapters later, Matthew 20, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen. Listen, he said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. The teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. They will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day... He will be raised from the dead. Right here. Jesus said twice right here and multiple times throughout the scriptures. He said it over and over and over again. Hey guys, they're going to kill me. 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 But three days later, I'm coming back to life. And so the first reason I believe the resurrection and that Jesus is alive is because Jesus said it would happen. And listen, if Jesus said the resurrection would happen and it didn't happen, he's a liar. And he's not worthy of our worship. Because if he lied about the resurrection, what else did he lie about? See, there's some people, maybe even some of you here today, that you have this argument. Well, I, I got you, Ryan. Like, I, I, I believe that, that Jesus walked the earth, but I, I just believe he was a good man. I believe he was a great teacher. I just don't believe he was the son of God. I, I just don't believe he came back to life. Listen, the cornerstones of Christianity, the thing we've got to be on the same page on. If we're not on the same page on this, we're not in the same book, we're not in the same library, we can't even get along. Because the cornerstones of Christianity are Jesus is God and Jesus came back to life. Jesus is God and Jesus came back to life. Jesus is and Jesus came back to Jesus is God and Jesus came back to life. If Jesus taught that he was God and he wasn't God, and if Jesus taught he was coming back to life and he didn't come back to life, that makes him a liar. And a liar cannot be considered to be a good man or a great teacher. That option is not open. Either Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he would do, or he's a liar or a lunatic and deserves to be locked away and forgotten about. He has not left the option open for us to think that he is just a good teacher or a good man. He said he was coming back to life and he either did it or he didn't. I believe he did because he said he would. And Jesus always backs up his word. That's the first reason I believe it. It's because Jesus said he would do it. The second reason is because it can't be reasoned away. The resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive, cannot be reasoned away. We, we try to reason stuff away all the time. We try to tell ourselves that something didn't happen or something isn't happening. You ever done that? Something ever happened to you and you're like, that's not happening. That's not happening. Like you ever been home alone at night and you hear a sound you ain't never heard before? That ain't happening. Then it happened. You either grab your gun or you pull the comforter back up over your head. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. Kind of passive about it. 
Because if you tell yourself something's not happening, you, you can believe that it's not happening. Let, let me back up and tell you a story. I am scared, terrified, petrified of mice. I've told you this many times. I, I don't know why I'm so afraid of mice. I don't know why I'm such a big sissy when it comes to mice. I have no idea. And, and no, don't tell me the solution is to get a cat so I don't see a mouse. Like, I don't like cats either. Like, I, I, it, it's all messed up in my head. I don't know why. You might be here today, and you might be wondering, is Jesus alive? Is there a God? Mess with me with a mouse, and you will find out. I literally lose control. I, I just Somebody told me one time, Hey, Pastor, I think it would be really funny to play a joke on you. I'm going to put a dead mouse outside your door. I will kill you. I'm serious. Like, I don't even mess around. Now, some of you laugh. And people make fun of me all the time for being afraid of mice. But you're afraid of spiders. You're afraid of a little eight-legged spider. Now, I used to make fun of you until I was riding down the road one time. This is true. Mary and I were talking. We were pulling into the driveway. And I felt something crawling inside of my pants right here. All of a sudden, whatever, I'm telling myself it's not happening, right? This isn't happening. There's nothing in my pants. Like, like it's just like a tag still in my pants or I got a little scratch or, or something like this. It's not happening. It's not happening. But I can feel it. I can feel it crawling. All of a sudden, whatever this creature of death was that was inside of my pants bit me like three or four times. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. And Mary's like, what's wrong with you, freak? And I'm like, ah. And I'm pointing, and I can't be passive about what's happening anymore. I can't say it's not happening. I'm not, it's not happening. Something in my pants was eating me alive, and I had to get it out. I got in the garage. I got out of the car. What happened to the pants? Chippendales, baby, right there. Ah! And I'm killing the spider because it was something I couldn't ignore. I couldn't be passive about it. Here's what's cool about Jesus today. He's someone you can't ignore. When he's pulling on you, when he's actually calling you, you can't ignore it. We can't say, well, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe the resurrection didn't happen. Maybe it didn't ha It's not something that can be reasoned away. The resurrection happened, and it cannot be reasoned away. Jesus Christ is alive. Now, there are four main arguments against the resurrection. There are more than four, but these are the main ones. I'm going to tell you, I'll expose them, and quickly like show you why they're full of holes. All right, The first one, first reason people say the resurrection didn't happen is that the disciples stole the body. The resurrection isn't real because the disciples stole the body. Now, if you know the story of the crucifixion, what did the disciples do when Jesus was arrested? What did they do? They what? They ran. They hid. They were afraid. Why? Because they thought, we're next. They knew, in order to kill a movement, you kill the leader. And so the Romans, and the Jewish leaders, and the teachers of religious law figured, hey, we kill the leader, we kill the movement, but we also got to take the 12 guys who are the closest to him, who walked with him for three years, and kill them too. These people were closely identified with Jesus. And so they thought, we're next. They're going to kill us. And so they ran and hid. In fact, this is what we see the disciples doing in John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're in a room, doors locked, freaked out because they thought they were going to be killed. That's John chapter 20. Yet in Acts chapter 4, something happened to these guys. They got bold. They got tough. They came out of their shell. What was it? What could have possibly fired these men up? 
Because the Jewish leader said, listen, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, something bad is going to happen, man. Like you think what happened to him was bad? Wait till you see what we do to you. And the disciples, watch what happened. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. What did they see? What did they hear? They saw Jesus. They heard the words of Jesus when he came back from the dead. And they said, we can't stop talking about this thing. The disciples stole the body. Think about it. These guys are in a room, terrified, afraid for their lives. And somebody has the idea of, guys, hey, guys, look, listen, 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 I got an idea. I don't know if you're going to like it or not, but I got this great idea. Let's go to the cemetery and steal the body. I mean, I know there's guards there, but we can fight them, and we can steal the body. Thomas, we'll bring him back, and we'll put him in the closet at your house, and then we'll tell everybody he's alive. Great idea. Let's run to the tomb. Here's the problem. The guards they placed over the tomb, these guards would be equivalent to our Navy SEALs today. They were not some wimpy, like like the cartoon guards you saw growing up in church. That wasn't it. Stop it. If you were a Roman guard, if you studied history, these were elite soldiers. And you know what happened to a Roman guard if what they were guarding escaped? You know what happened? They got killed, crucified, burned alive, or whatever. And so if you're a Roman guard, you did whatever it took to guard what you were guarding because you didn't want what you're guarding to get away. And so we're to believe that these terrified, scared men, a zealot, a tax collector, some fishermen, some teenage boys fought the guard, rolled the stone away, got Jesus drug him to Thomas's house, stuck him in Thomas's closet, and went out and told everybody, hey, he's alive. Here's the deal. The disciples had two main claims. Christianity, I already told you this once, let me say it again. Christianity, you can boil it down to two essential claims the disciples were claiming. Jesus is God, and Jesus is alive. Jesus is God, and Jesus is alive. Jesus is God, and Jesus is alive. You know what? Every single one of these guys, except for John, every single one of them were murdered because they ran around saying Jesus is God and Jesus is alive. You don't get killed for saying, hey, Jesus is a great guy. He's a good moral man. He's a good, he's a good teacher. I like him. He's my buddy. He's my homie. You don't get in trouble for that. These guys got killed because they proclaimed Jesus is God and Jesus is alive. They're all killed at separate times, at separate places. And and I know the argument is, well, you know, Pastor, people die for a lie all the time. I agree. People do die for a lie. But if you're the fourth disciple, think about this. If you're the fourth disciple, and you've already seen disciple one, disciple two, disciple three, you get killed, and and they're coming up to you, aren't you going, hold hold on, guys, what's this all about? Well, you're saying Jesus is God, Jesus is alive. We killed them, now we're going to kill you. Oh, no, 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 no. I said Jesus took a dive, not Jesus is alive. Simple misunderstanding. All of them are killed. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord, my God, who is alive. 
John is the only apostle to die a normal, natural death. But you know what they did to John to try to get him to renounce that Jesus was God and that Jesus was alive? You know what they did to him? They boiled him in oil. That's legit. Study history. Find that out. If they've got you, say like they've got you over the fry cooker at McDonald's, and you know Jesus is in Thomas's closet, and they're lowering you down, don't you confess? Hey man, just joking. Yeah. But the reason that John was willing to be boiled in oil is because he saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus, and he could not deny what he had seen and heard. The theory that the disciples stole the body doesn't hold water. The second one is that Roman or Jewish officials stole the body. I'm not even going to spend a lot of time on this one because this one's stupid. If you read the book of Acts, Christianity wasn't opposed by pagan people. Christianity was opposed by the religious people. Christianity was spreading. And and the Jewish nation and the teachers of the religious law and the religious leaders opposed it. Let me promise you something. If they were claiming that Jesus was alive, if the disciples were not claiming that Jesus is alive, and if the Jewish people and the teachers of the religious law and the religious leaders, if they would have had the body, there would have been a parade down Main Street. They would have been shouting, nope, sorry, here's your God, he's dead. You know why there wasn't a parade? Because they didn't have the body. Because he rose from the grave. Because he's alive. The third theory, I love this one, is the wrong tomb theory. You ever wind up in the wrong place? If you're a man, say yes. Just say it. Just do it. Own it. One time I was in the mall, and I had to go to the bathroom. And I was walking, I was looking at my phone, I was reading an email. And I was, it was like an intense email or something. I was like really into it. And I looked up, and I'd seen the bathroom, and I'm reading this email. I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking. I get to the, get into the bathroom, and I put the phone in my pocket, and I look up, and there are seven women staring at me. And I thought, that's weird. What are y'all doing in here? And I looked around, and there weren't no standees, and I realized I'm in the wrong place. And they probably thought, idiot, pastor from Central. Like, It didn't take me long to figure I was in the wrong place. I realized on my own. But had I stood there any longer, one of those ladies would have gladly volunteered that information to me. When you go to the wrong place, you will figure it out on your own, or eventually somebody will tell you you're at the wrong place, right? Think about this. When someone dies who is close to you, you remember where they're buried, right? So let's just play this for a second. Maybe, maybe it's possible that somebody went to the wrong tomb. But here's the reason we know the people in this story didn't go to the wrong tomb. There's two women on the way to the tomb. Had it been two men, we could argue, because men never ask for directions, right? But two women knew where they were going. That's how you know the Bible is true, because there's two women on their way to the tomb. If it had been the wrong tomb, don't you think somebody would have been like, hey guys, um, that's Bob's tomb. Jesus is over here. I I know you're looking for Jesus. That's Bob. Come over here. Over here is Jesus. The reason why somebody didn't point out they went to the wrong tomb was because they were at the right tomb. Jesus was buried in the tomb of a wealthy man. His his name was Joseph of Arimathea, who was a well-known person. It was a well-marked place. It wasn't some obscure place in the middle of nowhere. They, They didn't go to the wrong tomb. The last one is Jesus didn't die. Some people say Jesus did not die. People like to argue he passed out on the cross. This is a very commonly held belief. There are churches 
who claim to be Christian churches, who teach this junk, that Jesus didn't die on the cross, that he simply passed out. But listen, if you study scripture, you'll understand Jesus died on the cross. If you just simply study what he went through the last 24 hours of his life, there's not a man or a woman in this room that could go through what he went through. Let me tell you what he did to pay for our sins. The Bible says the night before, he started out in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He knows what's going to happen the next day. He knows he's going to be killed. He knows he's going to be tortured. He knows it's going to suck. And his body is in such stress, such duress, that the Bible says he literally began to sweat drops of blood. By the way, keep in mind, this makes your skin very tender when this happens. They come and arrest him that night. They beat him. Beat him. These are men who had tried for years to stop Jesus. They couldn't wait to get their hands on him. This wasn't some passive pushing him around. This was they beat the snot out of him. They finally had him. They're spitting on him, mocking him, pulling out his beard. They beat him. They kept him up all night long. Next morning, they take him to this makeshift fake stupid trial in front of a guy named Pilate. Pilate says, I don't really know what to do with him. Take him to Herod. And so they take him to Herod. And Herod says, I don't really know what to do with him. Send him back to Pilate. And so he's gone from Pilate to Herod to back to Pilate. And so he's walked two and a half to three miles with no rest, no water, no food, no anything. Pilate sentences him to be crucified. But he says before he's crucified, he's to be flogged. Now, a lot of people read over that passage and they say, ain't no big deal. I got whipped all the time by my daddy. It wasn't that kind of whipping. The beating that they put on him, as they took this thing, it's called a cat of nine tails. A cat of nine tails is a piece of wood with nine strips of leather attached to it. And wrapped in this leather were pieces of bone and rock and glass. Things that would attach to your skin. And when they beat Jesus, the whip didn't just fall off. It would attach to him. And when they pulled it off, his skin would rip. And the Bible said that his skin looked like pieces of ribbon. The Bible, the Bible says that it, it looks like, it just looked like one wound. Most people didn't even survive the flogging. Archaeologists and scholars have said that people have been discovered that, that actually went through floggings and there were actually markings on their bones. Some of these men and women were whipped down to the bone. Their intestines would fall out. Their internal organs would fall out. I'm not trying to gross you out. I'm trying to tell you what happened to our Savior, what he went through to pay for our sin. Jesus Christ was beaten within an inch of his life. He lost a lot of blood. They put a crossbeam on his back. And they parade him through the city streets. Eventually, he passes out from exhaustion and dehydration. They call a man, Simon of Cyrene, out of the crowd. Come here, you pick up his cross. You carry it for him. And and they drag him the rest of the way to the spot where they're going to crucify him. They lay him down on the beams of wood. And they nail him to the cross most of the time. They would just tie people to the cross. They nailed Jesus They put nails in his wrist, nails that would have crushed right here, major arteries and nerves. It's not here in the hand, right here in the wrist. The way they crucified people 
Your lungs would fill up with blood. You, you, would, you, would, you would suffocate, essentially. The way that you would get a breath is you would, there was a piece of wood and that you would pick yourself up to try just to get a breath. But with Jesus, they put one foot on top of the other and they drove a nail through. The only way you can breathe is to push yourself up and now you've got a nail going through your feet? When the guards got tired of playing games and they wanted to go home, when they were done with the whole thing, they would break the legs of people so that they couldn't push up anymore. That's why in the scripture you see they're breaking the legs of the thieves so they couldn't breathe anymore. But when they came to Jesus, the Bible says they didn't break their legs because he was dead hanging on the cross. So they take a spear and they put it in his side. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed. You you know what that means? Most medical experts say that means his heart exploded. Listen, when your heart explodes, it's over, right? Like, that's it. You don't have a backup heart. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. Please don't insult our intellectual intelligence by saying he wasn't dead, that he simply passed out. They took him down. When he's down on the ground, they know he's dead. They wrap him up in this mummy type thing. And the Bible says they put 75 pounds, 75 pounds of burial spices on him. Stuck him in the tomb. Rolled the stone in front and left. And because you say he passed out, we're supposed to believe that three days later, he wakes up and goes, oh, That was a rough night. Unwraps himself, rolls away a two and a half ton stone by himself, fights off the guards, and then walks for miles with pierced feet in a dehydrated blood loss condition and inspired a movement that's still here today? Evil Knievel couldn't even make that jump, baby. Jesus died, and he came back to life. Last reason I believe the resurrection is because it changed lives. After the resurrection took place, the Bible says Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples. He appeared to James. James is one of his half-brothers. We know according to Scripture he had at least two half-brothers. James, who wrote the book of James, and Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. Half-brothers of Jesus. They all had the same mom, Mary. He appeared to these guys after he rose from the dead. Now, if you're a brother, and you see your brother get killed, come back to life, probably freaks you out a little bit. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus had told them what to do. And the Bible says this. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Who were they praying to? They were praying to Jesus. Why? Because they believed Jesus was God. United in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, let's stop and unpack that phrase real quick. His brothers were praying to him. Quick survey. How many of you in this room have a brother? Raise your hand. Me too. I got two brothers. I keep, keep your hands up. You got a brother. How many of you who have, who have a brother have ever had this thought? I think my brother might be God. I mean, I don't know. I've been thinking about it. I, I think I need to start worshiping my brother. Because I remember there was this time when I was four and he was two and we were taking a bath together and he walked across the water. It's all coming back to me now. There was this time that he had a glass of water And he wanted chocolate milk. 
And mama wouldn't give him some chocolate milk. And he asked for chocolate milk over and over. And mom wouldn't give him chocolate milk. And so he just said something and his water turned into chocolate milk. I think my brother might be God. Nobody in here says, I think my brother's God. Most of us could say, I think my brother's a demon. That's not a far stretch. But probably nobody in this room thinks their brother is God. In this passage, we see James and Jude, brothers of Jesus, praying to Jesus. What would it take to pull that off? Resurrection would do it, wouldn't it? His mom prayed to him as God. We have never had a mom call this church saying, I think my kid might be God. Never happened. Especially moms of teenagers. You've wanted to send your kid to see God, but you have no false idea your kid might be God. Here we see Mary worshiping her son as God. What would it take, moms, what would it take for you to worship your kid as God? Resurrection would do it. The resurrection changed everybody. The apostle Paul, we read this at the very beginning Before he was a Christian, he killed Christians. Paul was a terrorist. The apostle Paul getting saved in that time period would be the equivalent of the leader of ISIS getting saved today. That's huge. If we did an invitation and the leader of ISIS walked forward and gave his life to Jesus, we would freak out. What would it take to change somebody's heart like that? Resurrection would do it. There are people all through scripture who would attest to the fact that Jesus Christ changed their lives. There are hundreds of people in this church, hundreds and thousands of billions of people worldwide that would say, Jesus is alive because he lives in me and he has changed me. Jesus Christ changed lives and he's still changing lives. And so what does that mean? What does it mean today that Jesus is alive? Because a lot of people say they believe it, but what does it mean practically for us as Christians? Well, let me share with you two things and then I'm done. Number one, in Christ, I can have hope. In Christ, I can have hope. Since Jesus is alive, I can have hope. A lot of times we feel broken. We get down by circumstances. We feel overwhelmed at how life is coming at us and we feel beat up. We feel messed up and we lose hope. But I want you to know that because Jesus is alive, you can have hope. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care any of that stuff. God doesn't care any of that stuff. You need to understand that there is hope in your future. Because since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he can handle your problem. No matter what it is, he's got it. He's under control. He's not freaked out. He's not stressed out. He's not worried about it. Though you can't see anything else but the problem, he can see what's next. And he's telling you, hold on. It might feel like Friday, but Sunday is coming. Just wait it out. You can have hope in Christ no matter what. Number two, in Christ, I can have a new beginning. Nearly every person that I meet wants to experience life. But we think life can be found in things like a paycheck. We think life can be found in a drink, in a drug, We think life's in a relationship. If I could just date him, if I could just date her, if I could just get that job, if I could just go there, if I could just move here, if I could live in that house, if I could drive that car, then I'll feel better. Most of us have at one time or another accomplished something that we thought would make us feel better, and it didn't make us feel better. And the reason it didn't make us feel better is because we're trying to get through life without Jesus. But in Christ, we can have a new beginning. 
The life that many of us are searching for can be found, but it's only in Jesus. Listen, Jesus Christ is as real as a person sitting next to you right now. And in him, we can have a new beginning. And it's not because he's a good person or because he's a great teacher. It's simply because he's alive. It's grace. It's the grace of God that changes us. I want you to watch this video of changed lives of people in this church. It's real quick, and then I'll come back up and I'll pray. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved. An alcoholic. A failure. Agnostic. Partier. Liar. Drug addict. A wretch. Like me. I once was broken. Resentful. Helpless. Depressed. Out of control. Abandoned. Selfish. Self-destructive. Angry. Confused. Just lost. But now, I'm sober, happy, peaceful, grateful, free, alive, forgiven. I'm found. I was blind. To God. To faith. To love. But now I see. I see that I matter. I can see past my problems. I see my Savior. I see grace. Amazing grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace by so incredibly thankful for that amazing grace that gift of grace that changes lives that gift of your son jesus christ jesus you are amazing you are awesome and we are eternally grateful for your work on the cross thankful that you took each and every one of our place so that we didn't have to go through that same punishment but as Grateful as we are for the cross, we're, we're excited of the life that happens because of the empty tomb that you got up and that you walked out. And because of that, we can have life as well and we can be overcomers. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you've never 
receive this gift of grace that God has offered to you. Maybe you've heard the Easter story your entire life. Like, you know it, you get it. There was a cross and there's an empty tomb, but, but you've never really grasped it. You've never responded to that, that call that you, you feel in your life of, of, of Jesus calling you out of the world. Maybe you've never recognized that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. See, church, we don't just struggle with things. We don't just wrestle with things. We don't just do bad things. We sin. Each and every one of us. And the Bible says that sin separates us from God. It says all have sinned, every one of us. And we all fall short of the glory of God. It goes on to say the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God, the grace of God, is eternal life and his son, Jesus Christ. We're told that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever believes, whosoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on to say that God sent his son in the world not to condemn the world but that the world can have life through Jesus Christ. We can have life because Jesus is alive. And so today, maybe you haven't ever recognized and acknowledged the fact that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and you need to be saved. The Bible says in Romans 9 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. Not might be, not could be, not maybe, but we do those things and we're saved eternally, secure in the Savior, one of the chosen ones that he died for. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's, it's the intention of your heart. It's the response to the pull that he has placed on you. It's the acknowledgement that he is Lord. And so if that's you, right where you sit, you can pray this prayer. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask your forgiveness. Forgive me not for the bad things I've done, but for the sin. Save me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the grave and I confess you as Lord because you died for me to pay for my sin. And so I ask you today to come into my life and be my Lord, be my God, be my King, be my Savior, all of you for all of me. And I promise from this day forward to the best of my ability, I will follow you every single day of my life. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Now, heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. Here's what I want you to do. We don't do this often here at this church, but it's Easter and we want to celebrate. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you really meant business with it, I want you to stand up right where you are because I want to pray for you. I want to see you and I want to pray for you. God, we're so incredibly grateful for these people. We're grateful for new life. We're grateful for what they're about to step into. 
This, this change that only you can do, that only you being alive can put into their life. And I pray, God, that you bless them, that you, that you hear and you see this decision and you allow them to now walk in freedom, the freedom that you have promised. God, allow them to feel new life, new breath, a newness that you bring, a resurrected life. God, it's Easter, but but it's about the newness. And so God, bless these who you have begun to change in and allow us as a church to be get dedicated to them, to walk alongside of them, to go through the same journey that they're going through. Church, open your eyes and look at the people standing. And this is what we do here. We celebrate this. We celebrate new life. God, you are worthy of our worship in all things. In all things, we thank you for grace. We thank you for your amazing grace.